Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. Tonight we continue our series, A People of Worship. This has been a great series so far, hasn't it? I don't know about you, but I've been profoundly challenged throughout this series to really think about what it means to be a people of worship. And tonight we continue by looking at the price of worship. As I read the Bible, one of the things that strikes me again and again is the immense sacrifice to worship God. To be in relationship with God, the creator and the sustainer of our universe, is no small thing. As human beings, we were created to worship. Worship is not just something that we do, but it cuts to the heart of who we are. We were created to adore, to be wowed. Each of us were formed with an innate awareness that there is something greater than ourselves. Ecclesiastes 11 talks about how God has placed eternity into the hearts of men. And that part of our human nature is a wonderful and beautiful thing, and it's God-given. Yet we see throughout Scripture that powerful and transformational encounters with the Creator have sometimes cost the created. Jacob He had to physically fight and wrestle with God, and it left him with a dislocated hip. But it also left him with a new name and a fresh anointing from God. Saul on the road to Damascus, I think we can all agree his encounter with God was dramatic. It was confrontational, and it left him with temporary blindness. But it also reset the trajectory of his life so that Paul would become one of the most effective and influential followers of Jesus in human history. We hear time and time again that worship is not just about great songs and melodies. It's certainly not less than that, but they in and of themselves are not worship. They are just vehicles to worship. Simply put, worship is about Jesus. It's when we adore Him. It's when we acknowledge Him. Worship is about Him. It's preoccupied with Him. And oh, how we are gonna need to be preoccupied with Jesus in the days ahead. And we've heard throughout this series that worship has to become the foundation upon which we build our lives. And I believe that it's by the exaltation of the person of Jesus that healing will flow through the streets of our cities and our towns and our villages, but it will also flow through our hearts and through our souls. That's why we can't afford to take worship lightly. John chapter four says that the Lord is seeking true worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. And can I tell you that worship True biblical worship in spirit and in truth shifts something within our souls and it transforms perspectives and hearts and desires and passions and the way we spend our time. And I don't know about you, but that's the worship I'm going after. So this evening, I want to try and unpack what costly worship looks like and to explore the price of worship within the framework of a sacrifice of praise. 
To aid our study, we're going to look at a passage in Scripture that I think many of us will be familiar with, and it's found in the Gospel of John, and it's the story of Mary of Bethany when she anointed Jesus with oil. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to John chapter 12. We'll read from verses 1 to 8. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and I want to show you one of the most beautiful examples in the New Testament, in my opinion, of worship and what it looks like to bring a sacrifice of praise. So we read, six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus's honor. Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12 ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor, he was a thief. And since he had been in charge of the disciples' money, he had often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She saw him across the room and immediately sensed the familiar awareness in the core of her being. It wasn't romantic. It wasn't needy, it was more of a primal pull, a knowing and being known kind of drawing. From within her arose a conviction that here she faced a defining moment, an opportunity to somehow be better than she'd ever imagined she could be. The room was thick with aromas from the meal. Conversation buzzed about her, punctuated with laughter and accompanied by background music. Clutching the gift she had prepared, she wound her way through the group that had gathered around him, approaching with confidence, but not without concern. The crowd shifted to make room for her and then drew in a collective breath when she presented the beautiful jar. Without hesitation, she broke it and rich perfumed oil bubbled from the opening, dripping onto her hands. Then she raised the bottle and extravagantly tipped its contents fully onto his hair. The fragrant oil ran down his temples, his cheek, and onto his neck. Lifting his gaze, he met her eyes and received her offering with gratitude. A hollow silence, awkward and stiff, descended on the room. One from his friends barked out an objection, what a waste. Murmurs of disapproval traveled through the room. Rejection and judgment rained down on her. He met her eyes, understanding the meaning of her gesture better than anyone else present. She had done a beautiful thing. Yes, her gift was expensive, but she meant this as an offering uniquely for him to prepare him for what he was about to face. She did what she could, and because of this, she will be remembered. This story, this beautiful moment, demonstrates the price to be paid in order to worship. And simply, it looks like three sacrifices. The cost, the criticism, and the confrontation. And we're going to look at each one and unpack what they look like for us. I believe that if we want to be a people of worship, 
If we want to be a community of believers set apart by the focus of our attentions in Jesus Christ, then we must grasp the price of worship and decide, like Mary did, if the privilege of worshiping our God is worth the price it might require of us. The cost, the criticism, and the confrontation. So let's start by looking at the cost. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. Mary's act of worship cost one year's wage. Can you imagine that? Seriously, for a moment, can you imagine taking something as valuable as one year's wage and in a moment of seeming hysteria, pouring it on the floor? She gave up not what was just valuable to her, but it was vital to her future, to her security, to her standing as a woman in society. She surrendered her inheritance and literally broke it and poured it on Jesus' head until there was nothing left. What on earth was she thinking? The audacity. How careless could she be? But no. She wasn't being reckless. Mary had had a revelation. She knew who Jesus was. He wasn't just a man. He was the Messiah. And she wasn't going to give the Messiah some cheap perfume, a token that didn't cost her anything. Instead, she offered a sacrifice of praise. True encounter with Jesus is revelatory and transformative. King David understood the price of worship when he said in 1 Chronicles 21, no, I insist on paying the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that costs me nothing. Revelation brings a right heart of worship. And a right heart of worship is an accurate assessment of who we are And then it's a desire for who he is. Giving a sacrifice of praise says, God, this is where I'm at. I have nothing to give, warts and all. And I need who you are. And the great paradoxical truth of the Bible is that we can only save our lives. We can only live in the fullness of everything that he died to give us by giving it back to him. Not in part, but in whole. Not holding it with hands closed, protecting what we think will save us as if our lives depend on us, but lifting a sacrifice of praise, even if it costs us. It requires a decision and it requires trust. If we can learn to live with hands open, lives open, it's amazing to see what the Holy Spirit will do with one whose life is open. Sometimes we see sacrifice and we see praise and we can think that they're opposites. We think of sacrifice as bringing something at great cost to ourselves. It's painful, it hurts, it doesn't benefit me in any way. And we see praise, on the other hand, as sounding joyful and lighthearted and wonderful, and it overflows from a grateful heart. 
Praise is our response when someone does something good. Great job, we praise you. But see, the problem with this is that praise is often left to the end. We wait for someone to do something good. When you succeed, then I will praise you. And sometimes we make people work really hard for our praise. And if we're not careful, we can start treating God like this. We find it easy to praise him and bring our sacrifice when he has blessed us, answered our prayer or protected us. It's easy to speak of the goodness of God and worship him when all of your inner man is feeling good and strong. This kind of praise, although worthwhile, because it doesn't cost us anything other than our time, it may not be the sacrifice we think it is. But there are those seasons when God hasn't come through in the time and way that you expected him to. The medical test comes back with the worst result. Your child keeps breaking the law and breaking your heart. Divorce feels imminent and praise is the furthest thing from your mind. God seems far away. Praise is elusive. We can't see his goodness and we ask ourselves, why should I give God anything when he can't turn up for me right now? Sacrifice comes from hearts that are grateful but it also comes from hearts that are being purified by fire. And as a people of worship, we have to decide that our sacrifice of praise doesn't need us to be able to see the result before our praise is given. It rises from a spirit that has chosen, that has chosen to say, God, I don't see it, I don't understand it, I can't see your hand, I don't see how this is gonna change. But today, even if it is so hard, I choose to bring you glory and praise no matter what it costs me. And the Holy Spirit doesn't ask us to lift a sacrifice of praise to punish us, but because our souls need to be told to bring a sacrifice of praise. Worship by its very nature, glorifying the name of Jesus, ascribing his kingship in our lives, goes against and is in direct opposition to the sinful parts of our nature. Worship is not just a battle between us and God, which sometimes it definitely is, but it's between spirit and flesh. It's a battle of the wills, bringing our will into alignment with his. And you know who knows how powerful worship is? Satan. He fully gets it. He fully understands what happens in the spiritual realm when the children of God choose to worship. Darkness is pushed back. Disputed ground in our hearts is reclaimed. Jesus is glorified. He gets it. And he's gonna do everything within his power to stop it. Distraction, apathy, heartbreak, bad news, strained relationships, bitterness, missed expectations, it goes on and on. But there is something powerful that Mary is teaching us when she brings her finest offering, despite the financial and the social situation it will leave her in. She gives her whole life to God. 
And we need to take hold of her intentionality around bringing this offering because it is clearly seen by the one who matters. That's the decision. We choose to lift a sacrifice of praise no matter our circumstance. And then there's the trust. Can I tell you really simply tonight, you can trust Jesus. You can trust him. Jesus comes to bring life into the things he has placed in our hearts when we choose to worship. He's saying to us, if you can give this thing up, if you can trust me to sacrifice in this area of your life, what I have for you is so much greater. He won't ever ask us to give something he isn't willing to give himself. And he gave everything. He sacrificed his life so that we could know our creator and have intimacy with him. So in the light of the cross, his death and resurrection, no matter how hard it is for us to deny self, any perceived awkwardness in raising our hands in worship, expressing our gratitude, going on mission, whatever he has for us when we choose to count the cost and still lift our sacrifice of praise, is greater than anything we can give up. Secondly, the criticism. Not only did Mary worship at great cost to herself, but she did it in the face of criticism. Any time God leads us, prompts us to do something meaningful, to make a difference, something that is generous and loving, something that is lasting, unfortunately, we can expect criticism. We can count on obstacles and spiritual opposition to come and slow our work. And that was exactly Mary's experience. Her bold, beautiful act of selfless worship was interrupted by a mean-spirited critic. Because you see, her token of devotion hadn't just exposed her heart, but it had exposed Judas's heart as well. When Judas saw what Mary was doing, he exploded with criticism at her. And he said, why are you being so wasteful? Do you have any idea what you could have done with something so valuable? Paul Tillich writes that genuine worship will always appear as some kind of extravagant waste. Mary may have wasted her jar of perfume, he says, but it is a holy waste, a saving waste, a beautiful waste the waste of extravagant love that comes from a full, overflowing, abundant heart. Don't expect generosity from someone who isn't grateful. Mary was grateful. She had seen what Jesus had done. She had seen him raise her brother from the dead. She had experienced his redeeming love and mercy. Jesus had shown up for Mary time and time again. So if she wasted her oil, she wasted it in the same way God wastes his love for us in nature, in history, always giving us more than we need, more than we ask, more than we can imagine. We serve an extravagant God and not once in his extravagance to us has he seen waste. Our response in worship is directly linked to our revelation of who he is. 
So for Mary, her response was more than appropriate because her act of devotion was not done for the people around her, but for Jesus. And anything done for Jesus is never wasted. I want us to understand this, that we aren't surprised when we face opposition. When we choose to worship, when we choose to offer our sacrifice of praise, when we choose to step out amongst our peers and our families, not everyone is going to get it. Not everyone's gonna understand. We're going to be criticized. There is always a stigma when God does something deep and profound and new, but we cannot let that from stop us from responding. If David had listened to the voice of his critics, including his family, I might add, he would have missed some of the incredible things God wanted to do in him and through him. An example would be that he would have never stood up to fight Goliath. The Ark of the Covenant would have remained in Obed-Edom and would have never come to Jerusalem, its rightful home. And when his son Absalom rebelled against him, Had he listened to the criticism that was going on around him, it would have crushed him. Even a man after God's own heart faced criticism. Aristotle once said, criticism is something you can avoid easily by saying nothing, doing nothing, and being nothing. But as a people of worship, we aren't satisfied with doing nothing and saying nothing and being nothing. My hope is that we are becoming a community of people that long to do what God is calling us to do regardless of what criticism it might bring. To serve, to pray, to invite, to show love and mercy, not just in the church, but as the church to the world. Mary steps up and Judas tries to come and tear her down. So how do we respond to critics? The answer, most of the time, is you don't. Notice what Mary doesn't do. She doesn't respond to Judas. She doesn't answer him or defend herself. Her goal wasn't to change her critic's mind and try and tell Judas that he was wrong and she was right. Her goal was to do the will of God. Mary was single-minded in her pursuit of worship of Jesus that night, and she knew that she didn't have to be chosen by people when she had been called by God. We are a people called by God. We are a church commissioned by God. That's why we live with our eyes toward heaven, that we don't look to the left or to the right. We're not moved by praise or criticism. We don't take our lead from what we think the world expects of us. Instead, we live as living sacrifices, postured to worship, giving thanks, not for all things, but in all things. And in the same way Jesus took Mary's offering and used it to glorify his name throughout the world. As he says in Mark 14 verse nine, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, wherever the good news is proclaimed throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. We too can be and are being used by God. 
the scent of Mary's sacrifice is still in the air today, encouraging us to do the same. As a people of worship, let's not allow the voice or power of any opposition or critics stop us, deter us, slow us, or distract us in our pursuit of worship. Because quite simply, greater is he that lives in us than he that is in the world. Finally, the last sacrifice to the price of worship is the confrontation. Mary broke open her beautiful jar. She broke it wide open so that the jar could be completely emptied. Why? Because she didn't intend to return to her old life. She had tasted the goodness of God and she no longer needed that jar that had once represented everything that had been valuable to her. She gave it all without a backup plan. When we worship, we're confronted with our own brokenness in new ways. Psalm 36 verse nine says, in his light, we see light. We all carry brokenness. It's part of our human condition. Broken parts of our lives that we are not proud of. But as humans, we tend to think of brokenness as the end. Something is broken and it's rendered unusable. But in the economy of God, brokenness is the beginning of godliness. Yes, we are a broken people living in a broken world, but we serve a whole God who delights in wrapping himself around us and binding that brokenness with his love and his mercy and his acceptance and his redeeming love. Our brokenness is not, is not a barrier to worship. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, but he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My loving kindness and my mercy are more than enough, always available, regardless of the situation. For my power is being perfected and is completed and shows itself most effectively, where? In your weakness, in our brokenness. Therefore, I will all the more gladly boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ may completely enfold me and may dwell in me. So I am pleased with my weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak in human strength, then I am strong, truly able, truly powerful, truly drawing from God's strength. Our brokenness is not a barrier to our worship. In the Gospel of Luke, we meet a woman who has suffered from incessant bleeding for 12 years. We'll all know the story, but she was desperate for a cure and she was winding her way through the crowd to meet the one who was calling himself the Messiah. When she's not noticed, she reaches out and she grabs the hem of Jesus' garment with her fingertips. And feeling the power go out of him, Jesus turns around and tries to find the woman who had touched him. And then Luke offers us a detail, a small but important insight into who this woman was. Luke chapter eight from the message says, when the woman realized that she couldn't remain hidden, 
She knelt trembling before him. In front of all people, she blurted out her story, why she touched him and how at that same moment she was healed. When the woman realized that she couldn't remain hidden, she blurted out her story. Like the bleeding woman, we too try to stay hidden, hiding our shadow sides, our most broken parts from God. So we hedge our bets. We only reveal parts of our stories, bits and pieces of our true selves on the one condition that we get to only see the deepest sin, the deepest parts that we're not proud of. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, we hide among the trees. Sometimes we use metaphorical foliage of our life, busyness, distraction, social media, kids, to-do lists, to shield ourselves from the deepest parts of who we know we are. But if we are to take Mary's example tonight, we clearly see that Mary confronted her brokenness. She admitted her humanness, her frailties and her stuff and she took it and she offered it as worship. But notice when she fell at his feet, she's weeping, she's crying, she's broken before God. Notice what he says and I believe he's saying the same to some of us here tonight. This impresses me. I don't like your independence. I don't like your distant worship. I don't like your cold relationships. I don't like you being lukewarm. This I can take. This broken vessel, open and willing to be filled with my power and my grace and my wholeness and my light. This I can use. Psalm 51 verse 16 says, For you do not delight in sacrifice, or else I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. My only sacrifice to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Such, O God, you will not despise it. And it's amazing to see the Holy Spirit transfer that takes place when we allow ourselves to be in that place, when we choose to offer a sacrifice of praise. It's a deposit. It's beauty for ashes, oil of joy for mourning, garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, the great exchange. You know, you don't find out some of those things about God on the mountaintops. There are things that are discovered in the darkness about God that you will only find in broken places. The truth is that God is calling us, like he called Mary, to step out of hiding, to come out of the valley, to kneel before him and to break open our jars that hold our deepest brokenness. Pour it out, trust him so that we can be transformed with his love and his mercy. The cost, the criticism, and the confrontation. I don't know about you, but more than ever in my life, I want to live with my hands open. It's a stance of worship, willing to pay the price to worship. 
I want our church to live with hands open, hearts open, doors open, a church that is willing to allow the goodness of God flow and not just keep it to ourselves. This is the choice that we make, to live in an understanding of a sacrifice of praise continually, even in hardship, to know that the God who never sleeps or slumbers is definitely watching over us and he is good and he is faithful to his word. And because of that value of sacrifice, it does something in the core of the fabric of our human condition to give us the ability to stand when all hell is breaking loose. When we bring worship that costs us something, breaking open the things in our lives that we hold back and hold onto so that there is no going back, there's no backup plan, there's no compromise, there is no limit to what God can do. Anointing falls on sacrifice. Blessing and power fall on our sacrifice. Can the musicians please join me? It's time to break some alabaster jars at the feet of Jesus tonight. We're gonna sing. The musicians are gonna lead us in worship. And I'm gonna invite you to come and stand at the front, if appropriate. If you would rather stay in your seat, then please stay in your seat. I don't know what your alabaster jar looks like this evening, but as we worship, can I encourage you to respond in the way that Mary did, with a supreme focus on him, a single-minded worship that counts everything as loss for Jesus Christ, worship that does not ask how little we can do to get by, worship that is not worried about public opinion, worship that is no longer concerned about what is within the boundaries of normal devotion. Worship, yes, that may be a sacrifice for you tonight. Can I encourage you to take that step, to trust him? He is good and he is faithful to his word. But let us be extravagant in our worship because we serve an extravagant God. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.